Hello everyone, I'm Ashley, and you're listening to the second episode of our series on being led by the Spirit. Our aim for the next few weeks is to create an additional opportunity midweek to reflect, pray, and to actually practice being led by the Spirit together. Some of you know that I've been sick this week, so I had to miss church on Sunday, and that's thrown off our rhythm and our series a bit. One of our deacons, Steve Beers, was asked to fill in for me on Sunday, which was great, except that Sunday morning, Steve also woke up with a fever. And so we had to call in another deacon, Jamie Stallings, at uh, 6.45 a.m. to ask him to preach. So it felt a bit unfair to ask Jamie to preach an impromptu sermon on the Holy Spirit. So we'll continue that series on Sunday. And by the way, Jamie, you are a hero. We love you. And let this be a reminder to all of us that ordination is not for the faint of heart. Uh, Neither, by the way, is choosing to set aside 40 days to being led by the Spirit, which some of us have committed to doing. You'll remember that right after his baptism, Mark tells us that Jesus was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, where he was tempted and harassed by Satan for 40 days. So, If any of you have experienced setbacks or resistance this week as you've attempted to pray and commit time to being with the Lord, it could be for any number of totally benign and very unspiritual reasons, but could also be exactly the kind of resistance that, according to Mark, comes with the territory of being driven or led by the Spirit into places of prayer. So hang in there. Don't be afraid to start again. That's what this time is for. And as we'll see today, I think that's what life with the Spirit really is all about. New life. The chance to start again. So with that in mind, we're going to be looking at two stories from the Old Testament, really three different images or passages Each of them are spirit stories. And while they're very different stories on the one hand and on the surface, the work of the spirit within them is actually very similar. These stories are from Genesis 1 and Ezekiel 37, the story of creation, the vision of the valley of dry bones. So I'm going to read a portion from each story and then offer a brief reflection on each. And then we're going to pray together for a few minutes. So my recommendation before we get started is to make sure that you're in a space where you can listen without interruption, where you can actually close your eyes. And if you're able, you should find a journal or something to write down your thoughts in the event that something comes to mind that you don't want to forget. Okay. This is Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, 
and there was mourning the first day. The 16th and 17th words of the Bible are Ruach Elohim, which here the NIV translates as Spirit of God. The NRSV translates it as Wind from God. And both are true. The Hebrew word Ruach is what you might call a deep word. It holds within it so much meaning beneath the surface. This tiny little word can mean wind, spirit, and or breath. It gets used over 400 times in the Hebrew Bible. Very descriptive, very different ways. But it's always a powerful mystery, a force. And as Christian tradition teaches us, this spirit, wind, breath, is not simply some elemental or even divine force. But to further add to the mystery, this wind, breath, spirit is God, is personal. So not only is it forceful, but there's purpose and power and intention in the blowing of the wind and in the breath-filled words. In Genesis 1, the Ruach Elohim is hovering above an yet uncreated world. And stuff from which the world will be made is described in vivid detail as a kind of primordial chaos, formless, empty, but not nothing. It's an emptiness that can be felt, but does not live. It's the beauty of poetry. What's an emptiness that can be felt, but does not live. So we have at the beginning of the story, not empty space, not nothing, but deep, empty chaos And there is Ruach Elohim hovering above it. The word for hovering gets used only one other time in the Hebrew Bible, in Deuteronomy 32, verse 11. And in this verse, it's used to describe an eagle hovering above or stirring up her nest full of chicks. Listen to the verse. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. So to get the full effect of the poetic imagery of the verse, we're supposed to, I think, imagine ourselves within the nest and what it would be like to have a full-grown eagle with its massive wingspan suddenly come and hover over you flapping its wings. You have to imagine the force of the wind that that would create. You couldn't stay where you were. And that's the point. In Deuteronomy, the eagle is attempting to rouse the chicks out of the nest to encourage them to fly. Or rather, so that they can attempt to fly. Because, of course, the eagle ends up carrying them on her wings. So the point in the passage is that the Lord both stirs up and rouses Israel. 
He draws them out into maturity so that they can fly and be who they were created to be. And a reminder that he's there to catch them when they falter. Similarly, in Genesis 1, creation is being stirred and drawn out of the chaos by this powerful, forceful will, wind, who somehow knows that within it, there is life and that this life has great potential. I think this is also related to something similar is happening in Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel is, as a reminder, the priest who gets sent into Babylon with the exiles after the destruction of Jerusalem. And the vision that he receives in chapter 37 is of a valley of dry bones, which is, of course, a very vivid and painfully accurate description of the state of Israel at the time. So if the imagery of Genesis 1 is an emptiness that can be felt, similarly, this is a valley full of death that you can see and feel. It's not just death. It's not just nothing. It's somehow worse than that. These are the words of Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 6. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth, among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones? Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you, and make flesh come upon you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Here the Ruach Elohim puts Ezekiel in this valley. And rather than hovering over it, he's pacing back and forth. I think we're meant to imagine with the same will and intention as the Spirit of God hovering over the uncreated world, the eagle above her nest. Because the Spirit says to Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? Those of you who know the story know that Ezekiel watches as the Spirit comes, as the wind begins to blow. And the bones, just like the chicks in the nest, are stirred to new life. Filled and surrounded by this breath, by this wind. They can't remain as they are. 
So what I'd like for us to do now with those images fresh on our mind is to make some space for prayer. I want to invite you to consider the imagery from each passage. A formless emptiness churning in space. Flightless chicks cowering in the nest. Valley full of very dry bones. Which of these images resonates, maybe best describes the state of your own soul? Is it a place of chaos, formlessness? Is it a place of fear or immaturity? Is it a place of hopelessness? despair. I want you to hold whatever image may be resonating the most in your mind, in your imagination. I want you to close your eyes and imagine that you're suddenly surrounded by an incredibly forceful wind hovering above you, all around you. It's powerful, terrifying, and almost paternal. It's clear that the wind intends to do something, almost as if it could say something. So what might the invitation be? If it did, would it be, let me form you out of formlessness and chaos into a life with purpose? Would it be, come out and fly? You've been in the safety of this nest too long and you have wings. Would it be stand up and live? You are dry, not dead, and it's time to feel things again. We're going to make some room for silence now, just two minutes. And again, I want to invite you to close your eyes and purposefully consider your breathing. Take control of it. Bring it into rhythm with your thoughts. And let your imagination settle on an image and on the invitation. How might the Spirit be leading you? Be patient with your thoughts patient with your breathing for two minutes. Come Holy Spirit.
Amen. Amen. Blessings on the rest of your week, friends. As you try to keep pace with the Spirit, walk in prayer, I'm praying with you and for you, and we'll see you on Sunday. Amen.